Well, I'm going to ask you to, to shift gears pretty significantly. I feel a little bad about that. But um, I want you to consider the question this morning, where would you be if the grace of God was removed from your life? Where would you be if the grace of God were removed from your life? And uh, for the last, I had mentioned this in share time a few weeks back, uh, but for some reason the grace of God has just captured my heart and has been where I, I just, I can't stop thinking about it. And I know that it is so core and basic to what it means to be a Christian. And yet it's used in so many different context and, and it's easy sometimes to, I think, forget and lose the wonder of it. And so today I just feel led to spend some time considering the grace of God more from the aspect of, of what is it and just to understand it. But before we, we jump into the Word, I want to read an, an article that I had read in 2017 that I saved. And there are many stories like this, but for some reason this one, it just gripped me as a picture of grace on multiple fronts. So I'll just read, read part of the article. Kenneth Williams was serving a life sentence for killing a cheerleader. He escaped in 1999, and a side note, he escaped from prison inside of a barrel, as I understand it, and was later involved in a traffic wreck which killed a man named Michael Greenwood. Williams then killed another man while on the run. He was executed by the state of Arkansas in 2017. Michael Greenwood's daughter, Kayla Greenwood, so this is the man that he killed after escaping from jail, his, uh, this man's daughter, learned a few days earlier prior to his execution that Williams had a 21-year-old daughter that he had not seen for 17 years and a three-year-old granddaughter he had never met. Kayla's mother then bought plane tickets so Williams' daughter and granddaughter could fly from Washington State to Arkansas to see him a day before his execution. Kayla Greenwood sent a message to Williams through his attorney. I told him we forgive him and where I stood on it. When Williams found out what they were doing, he was crying to his attorney. And here is the rest of the story. Williams told an interviewer that he had been stabilized and sustained by the inner peace and forgiveness because I've received a relationship with Jesus Christ. He chose to appear before a prison review board, not because he expected to receive clemency, but so that I could show them that I was no longer the person I once was. God has transformed me, and even the worst of us can be transformed and renewed. Revealing these truths meant more to me than being granted clemency. I'm still going to eventually die someday, but to stand up for God in front of man, that is my victory. No one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see any loopholes or ambiguity here? If Christ came into the world to save sinners, are any sinners exempt from his grace? So this morning, I want us just to, to spend some time considering God's grace. And it is talked about about 130 times in the New Testament. And we're going to read each and every verse. Just kidding. <laughs> Clearly, we're not. Um, and so I'm, I'm just inviting you to hear it for what it is, understanding at a bit of a snapshot of God's, of God's grace and God's mercy. So the word just means God's favor and his kindness and his blessing towards us. The, the definition that gets repeated again and again, but it's so good that um, I just think it's a great definition, it is God's unmerited favor. So grace is God's unmerited favor. 
One of the things that we have to think through at the start is the difference between mercy and grace. So God is love. That is his character. Out of his character flows mercy, which makes so that I don't get what I deserve. And then God's grace is where he, he bestows favor and blessings on us um, that I don't deserve. So mercy withholds the punishment, and grace just lavishly gives, um, gives us blessing and things, things that we don't deserve. So God's grace is what we need, we don't deserve it, and we can never earn it. Um, the title of, the, of today's message is Amazing Grace, Mercy to Save and Strength to Live. So as we go through a number of, of scriptures, um, here are the, the main points of the sermon that I guess hopefully you catch and pick up because it's coming out of God's word. Number one, the big idea is that God's grace is not earned, it is fle- freely given through Jesus Christ. Number two, God's grace is a present reality to grow in. It's not only past, it's a present reality. And number three, God's grace will give me strength for the things that I face. Um, I've got the whiteboard here, and I just want to show a very simple illustration um, of two things that hopefully is simple and clear enough that children can understand, but I've found it helpful even to think through in, in how to talk about these things. Well, if this thing cooperates... So this, um, this illustration actually comes from the navigators and is used quite often, but I just, again, I think it, um, it is a great way of, of remembering things and, and hopefully a clear way. Well, our whiteboard doesn't look totally clean and white, does it? So one way to think about this, when we think about grace, and this is one of the primary um, ways that we refer to grace, is that on this side here you have man, this represents man, and over here, this represents God, and I'll draw, I'll draw a cross here. So when we think about God's grace, what we're told in Scripture is that we have all sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God, and there, there is a gulf, there's a gap. We're actually, we're actually separated and dead in our sins away from Christ. And God is over here, so we're, we're not connected to him. And God, in his grace and mercy, sends Jesus, and the cross what he accomplishes on the cross, fills in that gap that makes a way for us to be right with, with Christ. And so it, one way of thinking about this and the way the navigators refer to this is that this is the bridge um, that Jesus provides to be right with God. So this is one, one way of thinking about, um, about God's grace. So I want to just look at a few scriptures related to that aspect of God's grace, that God's grace is not earned, it's freely given through Christ, a few scriptures about that before we, we look at the, um, move on to the other part of it. So I'll read these, and I won't be making a lot of comments about, about the scripture, but again, the goal is to see what is God's grace and how does it work in my life and, and what is it. Ephesians 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God has saved me through the free gift of his, of his grace. And it's, it's very clear this is a free gift that he's given us. He's raised us up um, with him. Warren Wiersbe, um, commenting on this scripture, he said, talking about the Lord, he said, His ultimate purpose in our salvation is that for all eternity the church might glorify God's grace. So throughout all of eternity, the church is going to be glorifying God's grace, that he is, um, he's raised us up and seated us with him. Romans 3, also talking about the grace of God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So in Ephesians, it talked about that we are saved through, by God's grace. And here the passage is saying we're justified. So we're saved from our sins, and here we're actually justified. And the word has, has the idea of we are declared righteous before God. So God is not just, not just forgiving us of our sins. He's actually declaring us righteous because of who Christ is and what he did um, on our behalf. There's no outstanding judgments against us. The last one in this section, Ephesians 1. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on the earth. I want us just to notice that we, are, we have the redemption through his blood, and redemption is the idea of being bought back out of slavery. So we have, God has given us that, the forgiveness of our sins, and this is all according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And the word for lavished is just, it is the idea of just when you have leftovers, there's abundance, there's overflowing so God, out of his riches of grace, is lavishing, is literally pouring this onto us um, because of his grace that we can be made right uh, with him. So one of the things that I want us to notice here is that God's grace is given so lavishly that it will take all of eternity to reveal it. God's grace is given to us so lavishly that it will take all of eternity to reveal it, and that's mentioned um, in multiple passages in the scripture that that is what we will be, part of what heaven will be, is experiencing God's um, lavish grace. All right, I probably have shared this here before, but this is one of my, um, this is one of my favorite quotes, so um, I guess you'll have to bear with me if it sounds familiar. Timothy Keller said, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. 
Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And that, I think, to me, just gets at the core of what, um, of what it means to live, in, to live in God's grace. So this, this is the grace of God that we, that we were separated from God. Now we are, we're one with God. And this is just a, another little simple illustration that I want us to think through. This is where we are today. And we are united with Christ, and we are standing in, God, we are standing in God's grace. And one of the things about, when we talk about grace and, and we grow up hearing about it is, I think there's danger in just looking back on it. But this is, this is where we are today. We are literally, we are standing in, in God's grace. We are fully known, fully loved, fully accepted, and we are one with Christ. And, and that's where we're standing um, today, is we're standing in that grace and in that unity. Now, one of, one of the things that happens with grace when you talk a lot about grace, and because I think it's a temptation of Satan, is if we're standing in grace on the one side, we're going to have this, other, this little block here, and I'm going to call this merit or work. And this block here, I'm going to call license. Does anybody else have those words that always look weird when you spell them? License, to me, always looks wrong no matter how I spell it. I have to spell check that thing so often. But So what, what will happen here is that we're standing in God's grace, and the temptation is going to be towards merit, our own merit or our own works. And this here is essentially all of the other religions in the world. There is a merit-based system to try to, to work and earn our things. On the other side, there's the temptations towards license. We're forgiven, we're standing with Christ, and we're freed from the law. Well, does that mean that we can now do, you know, do whatever we want? And there's, there's a temptation and a pool both ways. And if we're honest, none of us would, none of us would come to Christ. We're all here because we, we know that we can't earn our salvation. But over time, it can be awfully easy. The temptation can be to, to bounce back towards trying to do this on my own, living out of my own strength. Um, or maybe it's, it's the opposite direction of losing sight of how amazing grace actually is and then not living fully for the Lord. So these can be um, often tricky temptations to try to get us to move away from or, or um, out of standing fully in, in God's grace. And Scripture warns about these things. If we fall into the merit side of things, um, Scripture says that if we could get our salvation through law, then Christ died in vain. And on the license side, he actually warns and he says, make sure that you don't receive God's grace in vain and fall back into sin. So we are no, uh, no longer under law. We're standing in grace. One of the things that I also have to just clarify here, um, when we talk about grace, one of the misconceptions can be that, that God was somehow different in the Old Testament, and then now he gets to the New, and he's different. And God, I just want to be so clear, God has not changed. God has always been a God of love, of holiness, and of grace. And it is how he revealed himself has changed. And the big difference is that Jesus came to fulfill the law, and then we can stand in that grace um, so it's not that the law was bad and, and God changed. Um, so does that, does that make sense? 
It's one of the, one of the things that, that could often uh, people can wonder about is, did God change? And one of the places we see this, um, and these are amazing verses, when it, it's writing about Jesus coming in John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love the picture of grace and truth being together in Christ. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he, is, he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in Christ, because he fulfilled the law, we've been given grace upon grace. And one thing I'll just point out here, talking about God not changing, it says that Jesus was here full of grace and truth. In Exodus, where God introduces himself to Moses, the way he describes it there is, steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is essentially the Hebrew equivalent of these Greek words. So God's, God's character does not change um, over time. So I guess partly why I feel so passionate about this, I've explained it a little bit, is that grace is not something we look back on, but we, we live in it. It's a present, ongoing reality if we are to walk with Christ. And if I see myself as anything other than a sinner that is fully standing 100% on the grace of Christ, then I'm on very dangerous territory. And again, it's not that we set out to think that, but over time we can either think, you know what, I've, I've kind of got this thing together, and, and we almost feel bad when we come to the Lord with failures. Or on the other side, maybe we say, I, I am the way I am, and I'm just not going to change. Both of those things, I think, are not having us be established in, in the grace of God. I'm going to read this next passage pretty quickly um, to, to highlight that it is a present reality because we are to grow in this. And the only way we grow is if it's a present reality. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So worried about stability, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. In Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. And then this was the verse that kind of captured my attention, that God's grace is able to actually build us up and to give us an inheritance. So it is a very, living in God's grace is a very active thing, and it is being aware of my need for God at all times. I was thinking about in James, he says that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so it's living, living in aware of my need of God. Okay, so this is the one way that we think about grace, and this is the mercy to save us. But then a lot of Scripture uses grace in a different way. Um, but again, the word is just God's unmerited favor, but it really shifts. And we're going to look at a few passages, and these all talk about the strength that I need for the things that I'm facing today. 
So God's grace continues, but it's actually the power to live out his life um, in me. And the thing that I have to keep in mind is that I don't, I don't deserve God's saving grace, and I don't deserve God's grace that he, he offers to help me throughout every day. So let's uh, look at the other way that grace is used uh, with a few different passages here as well. Um, Titus 2, and this is just a clear picture of the, of the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we see God's grace showing up, and it's bringing salvation. Again, man, we are incapable of going and getting salvation. God's grace brings that to us. But he, he doesn't just, it's the changing grace. He doesn't just leave us at forgiveness of sins. It actually trains us, um, and it lists a few things. So in short, God's grace will train me to say no to sin and yes to godliness. God's grace trains me to say no to sin and yes to godliness. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So when God, when God puts his unmerited favor and blessing in my life, the reaction is not just to, to sit back and do nothing. It actually is to work. Paul is saying that he worked harder than anybody else, but it was actually God's grace in him. And if you hear this and you're wondering, well, what about legalism? Paul was a man who would have understood legalism through and through. He was a Pharisee. He had been down the road of trying to earn his salvation. Yet, he says, on the other side of receiving God's grace, that he worked harder than anybody else, but it actually was God's grace at work in him. So the idea of, of working out is not opposed to grace. In fact, it actually goes hand in hand with grace. All right, 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Is that not an amazing promise packed with all and everies? Um, that God is able to make all grace abound, to be sufficient in all things, to abound in every good work. All right, let's keep going and understanding how God's grace works. So this, there was a church who was being persecuted and was in complete poverty. And yet they wanted to give to help another church out. And just listen to how God talks about giving and grace. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that is, 
as he, had as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the very act of giving to meet needs, it, God describes that as God's grace at work in our hearts and flowing out, um, flowing out of us. Um, Another passage in 1 Peter talking about grace. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him being glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we're saved, God puts his grace in our hearts in the form of, of a gift that is meant to, and we are meant to steward that as a form of God's varied and amazing grace to pass that on. So God's grace in my heart is never meant to actually stay there. God's grace is always meant to be passed on so that it does not become stagnant. All right, two more passages, and I um, was curious if anybody was thinking about this one and wondering when we were going to read it. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God, um, Paul has been asking God, please take away this thorn in the flesh. We don't even know what it is. But we know that God did not remove the thorn and we, don't, we know that God didn't even tell Paul all of the reasons that he had it. And that can be a huge struggle for me. I want to know why. Why are you doing this, God? God doesn't tell him any of that, but he answers very clearly, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And the word there for sufficient, one of the things that I need to remind my heart is that it is a present tense word, and that it, it applies Whatever you're here today thinking about, it does apply to that. It's a, very, it's a present tense word. And the word um, for sufficient just means it's enough to be content and it satisfies. So God's grace is sufficient to save me. It is also sufficient to keep me in time of difficulty. Um, I want to read just a very short poem. Um, it's written by Martha Snell Nicholson. And I don't know a lot about her other than I know that she faced um, physical things for years, and part of her life was, um, was bedridden. So I'll, I will read this. Um, these kinds of things I find, uh, I don't know, almost scary, or it's, it's not how my heart naturally looks at these things. And, and so I know that I need this. And this, was her, this is her poem. I stood a mendicant of God before his royal throne, and begged him for one priceless gift, which I could call my own. I took the gift from out of his hand, but as I would depart, I cried, but Lord, this is a thorn, and it has pierced my heart. This is a strange, 
a hurtful gift which thou hast given me. He said, My child, I give good gifts and gave my best to thee. I took it home, and though at first the cruel thorn hurts sore, as long years passed, I learned at last to love it more and more. I learned he never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. Did you catch the last part of that? He never gives a thorn without this added grace. He takes the thorn to pin aside the veil which hides his face. So I hope that can be encouraging for you today um, if you find yourself in a very difficult spot. All right, one last passage of Scripture here to, to try to continue to look at the different ways that God's grace is referred to in Scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're encouraged and invited and commanded to draw near. The picture is God on his throne. And what kind of throne is it? It's a throne of grace. Where God is is sitting there um, full of grace. So we're told to draw near that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I find the term help there really interesting. It does not come across in, in English at all in this way. But if you look it up, that term is literally only used one other time in the Bible, and it's used in the book of Acts. And the context for it is Paul is he's on the ship headed to Rome. And if you remember the story, they are, they're about to be shipwrecked. And so what they did is they, took, they were throwing stuff overboard. But here's where the term comes in. They took cables and wrapped it around the boat to undergird the boat. So that term for undergirding a boat is what the term is, that term is used there for help. So when we, when we find ourselves tempted and in, in need of help, and we go to the throne of grace, the picture is that God undergirds us, he wraps his cables around us to give us strength that we literally don't have on our own. And, and that is the picture of God, what God does when we come to him and ask for his grace um, in our time of need. So one of the things that I have, to, I have to come back to is that in all of this, whether I'm talking about God's saving grace, God's grace exhibited as strength, the, the point that enters my heart is at the end of myself. That is really when, when I'm given God's grace, is when I'm at the end, at the end of myself. All right, thank you for um, sticking with me. We, we covered a whole lot of ground. Um, we talked about a topic that literally is going to take all of eternity to get to the end of, and so we just scratched the surface this morning. I just um, I wanted to summarize what Scripture said to us today, and um, again, under the three main headings. So the first heading, God's grace is not earned. It is freely given through Christ. God's grace saved and justified me through his free gift. God's grace is given so lavishly it will take all of eternity to reveal it. God's grace is a present reality to grow in. 
God's grace will strengthen me for the things I face. God's grace trains me to say no to sin and yes to godliness. God's grace working in me will lead me to good works. God's grace will lead me to serve others. God's grace is sufficient for my trials and weaknesses. And God's grace will help in my time of need. And these are promises that we can, we can go forth and live in um, this week. I invite you to stand, and I'll have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, I want to thank you, Father, for your love towards us. God, thank you that you saved us when we were dead in sins and, and literally opposed to you. Um, God, thank you for your grace to save us, to, to make us righteous, to bring us to yourself. God, I pray for each of us here. I pray for myself that this week we could grow in, the, in your grace, that this could be just a present reality that we're living out of at all times. God, I am sure there are many of us here facing hard things, uh, whether it's temptations or um, trials. I don't know what all we're facing, um, but God, we look to your grace to give us strength for those things. And Lord, thank you that you are sufficient. God, we believe that. Help our unbelief. Um, May we stand in that. I just want to commit ourselves to you and, and your care this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.